So there was this small town, and there was three faith communities there, a Catholic church, a Baptist church, and a Jewish synagogue. And those three religious leaders of those communities were good friends. They gathered every week for coffee, the priest, the pastor, and the rabbi. And one time they're having coffee, and the, the Baptist, he says, you know, guys, it, I really don't feel like I can really live out my Baptist calling because we're supposed to be making converts of people, but everyone in the town already belongs to one of our congregations. I think we should, you know, there's a lot of bears in the woods outside the town. I think we should try to convert the bears. And so the others said, okay, well, we'll, we'll give it a shot. So first week was the, the, the uh, priest's turn, and so he, uh, he, he went and he, and he tried to convert a bear. He came back and he had this limp. And, and so the, the other guy said, what happened? He said, well, I, I went out in the woods, I found a bear, and I, I began to tell him about Jesus, and he growled at me, and I kind of fell back, I sprained my ankle, but, um, but I, then I, I sprinkled him with holy water, and I baptized him, and then he was as gentle as a lamb, and you know, he's going to start catechism classes on Thursday. So, so the next week, it was the Baptist pastor's turn, and he came back, and his arm was in a hard cast. And they asked him what happened. And the Baptist said, you know, I was preaching the good news to him, but, you know, we Baptists, we don't baptize by pouring or sprinkling. we got to get them in the water. So I had to wrestle that bear into the stream. But as soon as I baptized him, he became as gentle as a lamb. And he's going to start Bible study on Thursday. So the next week, the... The three of them couldn't meet in the coffee shop. They had to go to the hospital where the rabbi was. And the rabbi was in a full-body cast. And they asked him, they said, Rabbi, what happened? And he said, on second thought, I probably shouldn't have started with circumcision. <laughs> now, this was a big controversy in the early church, actually. So, the early church was made up first of Jewish converts, right? And then the Gentiles began to convert. But there were some among the Jewish converts that said that the Gentiles have to observe the Mosaic law. The men must be circumcised. All of them must abstain from certain foods. And there was a big disagreement in the early church. And there was a meeting then of the, of the leaders, uh, Paul and Peter and James and the other apostles in Jerusalem. Sometimes it's called the Council of Jerusalem which is they gathered, they prayed, they argued, and they settled this question. Right? And, it, and they say at the end, they say, this has been decided by us and by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in the gospel today, he tells the apostles, he's going to go away from them, but he's going to send the advocate. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have told you. I want to use these scripture verses to talk to you a little bit today about something called the development of doctrine. Do church beliefs change according to social conditions? Do they evolve over time? How do we understand change and continuity in the teachings of the church? Now, technically, development of doctrine applies after the death of the last apostle. So we consider that the deposit of faith, uh, uh, revelation, public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. Remember, John has this vision recorded in the last book of the Bible. 
But um, I think that what we see happening in the Council of Jerusalem, recorded in the book of Acts, is very helpful for us to understand how this process works. So the starting point is always divine revelation. What has God done and what has God said? And Jesus talks about how we have to remain in his word. So divine revelation, right, it begins back in the Old Testament. God speaks to Abraham, reveals himself to Abraham, he enters into a covenant. Uh, and we see God speaking, acting in Israel's history over the centuries uh, with kings, with prophets, with judges. Okay? But now, the fullness of God's revelation is in Jesus Christ. The life, the words, the teachings, the actions of Jesus Christ. And the author of the Hebrews says, in times past, God spoke to us in various and fragmentary ways. But in these times, he speaks to us through his Son. Okay? So all that we believe is based on what Jesus has said and done. And even how we have to understand the Old Testament has to be through the lens of what Jesus has said and done. Now, what Jesus has said and done, the truth that God has revealed does not change. But our understanding of it can change. Our way of expressing that truth and applying it to new situations. But what Jesus has said is the Holy Spirit will guide the church in this process. Okay? So at the Last Supper, Jesus spoke about a new covenant in his blood. Okay? But it wasn't clear to the apostles what was the status of the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant, which incorporated the covenant with Abraham, which included circumcision, and included certain foods not being clean, considered clean. Now at the Council of Jerusalem, there were many things that had happened. So they prayed. Peter had had a vision not long before that where he saw God show him all the food. He said, you can eat of all the food. It's all clean now. Right. Peter had also experienced how, the, how Cornelius and his household, Gentiles, just as he preached the word, the Holy Spirit came upon them, right? Without them observing the Mosaic law. So they were, they were processing these experiences as well. Okay. But interestingly, later, not even in Acts, this is a very small detail, it just hit me the other day, of how this process works. Later, they remembered something that Jesus said in which he actually uh, declared all foods clean. If you go to Mark chapter 7, there's an episode in which the Pharisees are criticizing the apostles for not washing their hands. This was a tradition of the Pharisees, and Jesus responds to it. But then Jesus says, it's not what comes from the outside what you eat from the outside that makes you unclean, but it's evil, evil from your heart is what makes you unclean. And interestingly, Mark puts a parenthesis there, and he says, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Now let me tell you something. If they understood at the time that that's what Jesus meant, there would have been no controversy regarding the Judaizers. He said it, but it took them some time to process it, to understand the significance of what he said. Now remember, Mark was... Peter's secretary. Mark listened to Peter preach, took notes, and I believe after, over time, Peter's remembering, oh yeah, when Jesus said that, he kind of already told us what we were supposed to do about this, right? So, we see this happening throughout church history, and sometimes, and usually this, this happens when there's a big controversy. That is, someone begins to say something that is contrary to what the church has understood. They raise an objection, 
And people are like, that, that doesn't sound right. And there's, there, there's sometimes debates that last for decades. So if you, it's really important for us to know, you know, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. So there was a priest in Egypt about 317 AD. He said, Jesus is not fully God. Jesus was created in time. His name was Arius. And many bishops agreed with him, right? And so there was a, a, a council in Nicaea, but even after that, there was many councils, arguments, letters written back and forth. Bishops, like good bishops like Athanasius, were, were expelled from their dioceses, right? And so what was going on there? You know, it wasn't just like, well, you know, Scripture is so clear, that's what it has to be. No, there was things in Scripture that the Arians would use. In today's Gospel, what does Jesus say? He says, the Father is greater than I. Ah, so they'd say, see? So Jesus is like a creature. He's inferior to the Father, right? But then, you know, Jesus also says that the Father and I are one, right? He also uses God's name when he says, I am. In John's Gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So the fathers, of the, the council fathers, were, were led by the Holy Spirit through a very messy process until they were able to clearly express in words of the time that we still hold on to, right? That Jesus is consubstantial, shares the same underlying reality as the Father, even though there's a distinction of persons in the Trinity. Now, we see this happening in other things as well. Like, look, if you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus, when he talks about the Eucharist, he's talking about a real presence. This is my body, this is my blood. We have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have life within us. And that was always believed by the church. But the, the, the word transubstantiation wasn't used until maybe the ninth or 10th centuries. And that's because people began to challenge the idea of the real presence. And so they borrowed this helpful concept from a pretty smart guy named Aristotle, right? About things have an underlying reality, a substance, and then they have certain properties or accidents, such as height, shape, width, color, taste, all those things, right? And how in the Eucharist, the underlying reality becomes that of Christ, but the accidents remain that of bread and wine, okay? So this was a process over time, a process in which the Holy Spirit was leading the church. There are some matters in which we see significant changes in statements from popes over the centuries, especially as they relate to the church's teaching on social matters. And so you'll find many times people who criticize Catholicism will cite three examples, slavery, Usury, which is lending money at interest, and religious freedom. Now, it could be a whole class on the history of the church's uh, teachings on these things. Suffice it to say for now that there were consistent principles, but they were being applied to complex situations in which it wasn't, there was, if you do this, other bad things could happen, for example, that could be worse than the, than the bad you're trying to eliminate. We see, for example, in the Old Testament, there are slaves, but it was a different kind of slavery than in 19th century United States. The Old Testament slaves were freed every seven years. They were usually enslaved basically because of a debt, and they kind of had to pay off the debt, and then they were freed. We saw, of course, in the Roman Empire, slavery was widespread. In fact, every society in history has had slavery. This is a universal human institution. Okay? Um, and we don't see the apostles demanding the abolition of slavery probably because it would completely upend all of their society. We do see them, though, in proclaiming the gospel, uh, sowing the seeds for the ending of slavery. So we see, for example, Paul writes to a guy named Philemon. Philemon was the master of a slave named Onesimus. 
Onesimus, Philemon let him assist Paul for a while. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter basically saying, you know what, Philemon, you should treat Onesimus as your brother. And basically saying that you should liberate him, right? You should emancipate him. So over time, slavery eliminated in Europe. It reared its ugly head involving Western Christian countries in the age of exploration. Some of, some of the explorers from Portugal and Spain tried to enslave indigenous people, did enslave them. And, but at this time, the church had sufficient understanding and, and knew also the very different nature of this slavery that they, they condemned it completely uh, from, the, from the 15th century onwards. Something to understand about, about, about development of doctrine is the Holy Spirit is never going to lead us to a conclusion that contradicts or is the opposite of the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ recorded in the New Testament. Anyone who says that can happen or should happen, right, or it is happening because of the way society is changing, uh, those aren't coming from the Holy Spirit. They're coming from the spirit of the age. There are always new questions the church is going to face. For example, when the Industrial Revolution happened, there was new ethical questions that were raised. The introduction of different reproductive technologies. These call for a careful reflection on what God has revealed and then applying these unchanging principles to changing historical conditions. It is a process which can take many years, and as I said, it can get very messy. But brothers and sisters, it's important for us to not just think of this as only something for theologians and bishops. It's very important. During the Arian crisis, 80% of the bishops became heretics. John Henry Newman writes, it was the people in the pews and the parish priests who held on to the Orthodox faith and stubbornly held on, and the bishops finally came along and joined them again. So that's why all of us have a duty, right, to go to the sources of revelation, to read Holy Scripture, to study, and to pray, trusting that the Holy Spirit will teach us everything and remind us of all that Jesus has said.